Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Paulette Norum about finding your first job as a lawyer. Paulette's a lawyer, coach, and certified career and resume strategist. She's also the founder and principal coach at Hireback.ca, an online coaching program created specifically to help articling students and LPP candidates in Ontario find their first job as a lawyer. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Paulette. Thanks for having me, Shelley. This is going to be so much fun. Well, I'm really looking forward to it as well, and really thank you so much for being here. Well, we would start off with um, your advice to articling students who are disappointed about not being hired back. That is such a, a difficult blow to take so early on in your career. And, and I don't know about your experience, Shelley, but, but I wasn't hired back myself. Um, and I was pretty devastated, even though in my situation, I kind of knew it was coming down the pipeline. I had decided to clerk for my articles. And so the firm that I had summered with had always said that I'd be considered for an associate position, but there were lots of signs that they weren't really considering me for an associate position. So I had it an expectation that I wouldn't be offered an associate position, but it's interesting that, you know, regardless, when I received, you know, that information, I was devastated. And it's the sort of thing where I tell people and everyone's different. For me, I'm much more of an emotional person and I have <laughs> to experience, you know, the, the, the disappointment, the anger, you know, go through all of those stages before I can actually start, start functioning again. And, 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 and not everyone reacts that way. And so for those of us who need to digest that information, it is okay to do that. What I say is don't live there. Hmm. It, 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 it just needs to be a stop on your journey of then finding, you know, that first job as a lawyer. For some other people, they, they, you know, see it as, whatever the case it was, it was a business decision, there were certain numbers that need to be met, they're okay with, you know, taking that information and moving forward. For others, they need to know a little bit more. I was working with somebody recently who I could tell, even though they presented as if they were okay with the information, all of the other indicators in our conversation were that they were not and they weren't sure as to why they weren't hired versus their peers or some of their peers being hired. So also know that it is your right to ask and to hmm. try to find out what it was that went into that decision. Because if there are things that relate to your performance, if there are things that, you know, you can actually work on, well, I would think that you would want to know, especially yeah. before you start your next position. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, oftentimes, there isn't anything really specific. But um, you do want to ask, and sometimes people aren't satisfied with, 
you know, it was a really tough decision to make and there isn't anything specific I can tell you. And that's also hard to hear because then why me? Mm-hmm. But you do have to sort of take whatever information that you get, make some sense of it and eventually move on. And talking to other people can help you do that. So don't just keep it to yourself if you are having a little bit of a, a difficult time processing that information. Mm-hmm. Such a good point, because I think there's a lot of sometimes embarrassment or shame, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to publicize the fact that they haven't been hired back. Uh, so I think that's just great, great advice. And then I guess it brings me to um, the other question that I was uppermost in my mind when I was in, in that situation. Should students take the first job that's offered just for the sake of having a job? Not necessarily. And I, you know, I'm going to have to play my, with my lawyer uh, hat on in responding (laughs) to that question. It really depends what the job offer is. It really depends what your circumstances are. Like it's a, it's a really individual and personal question. I can give you sort of categories of people that I've worked with and what's made sense for them. Uh, I do know new calls to have taken, for example, document review work, um, just to tie them over until they land something. And that makes sense for them. Um, There's a whole bunch of reasons why somebody would take a, a route like that. I know others who have felt burnt out, for example, not just from their articling or LPP experience, but you know, just the whole rigmarole of, you know, finishing law school, like, you know, doing your articles during a pandemic, you know. Um, And so I've known, you know, another set of people to have taken some time off just before they've, you know, hit the, the road, so to speak, to their job search. And I've known others to wait it out a little bit, they're in a position where they can wait it out to look for and find that ideal position. So it's not a yes or no question for me as a coach who works with individuals with so many different circumstances and, and backgrounds. It's the sort of thing where it needs to make sense for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I'm just thinking too about that timing you'd sort of mention it sort of follow your natural rhythm but is there a like a time that employers are more open to receiving applications I guess I'm thinking about the period between um, the higher back decisions being communicated articles ending uh, and then being called to the bar so are employers um, going to be out Uh, advertising positions or looking for candidates during that interim period? I'd love to give a timeline that you can, you know, cut and paste (laughs) and say, (laughs) this is what happens. The truth of the matter is, is that when a law firm, when an employer has a, a need, Uh, to fill and they need to hire somebody, they are going to look for somebody. And 
Oftentimes that can come up at a predictable time. So when you talk about higher backs happening and so they're unlikely in some minds there being positions um, for a new call right after higher back decisions are made. Yeah, I, I agree. That seems to be an obvious sort of assessment to make. But I've also known firms that you know, have had have made their higher back decisions, but then they've needed to hire because something has come up or they weren't able to find students who were interested in that particular gap that they had open. So it's for me, it's it, there's always hiring happening. I mean, I just worked with somebody earlier this year where, again, the reasoning would be, well, if higher back decisions are going to be made, you know, April, sort of May, then firms aren't going to really hire a new call, um, you know, just around that period. And I just work with somebody who landed at a national firm, a first year associate um, earlier in April. So hmm. those standard times, while I understand why we want to sort of kind of rationalize and, and objectify the whole process so you can sort of stop at a really, you know, easy place and then end at an easy place, they don't always apply. So you don't have to be called to the bar in order to start networking. I've known many um, articling students who are able to land something on the condition that they do get called, you know, a month or two later. So it, it really is not as simple as just wait until you're called to the bar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you mentioned your network. thoughts on that, like, cause you <laughs> do this work as well. So what, what do you tell uh, articling students? Well, pretty, pretty much the same. I think they're just sort of natural ebbs and flows and um, to think about focusing your job search and sort of getting clear in what it is that uh, you want to do and then things evolve from there. But, um, you know, actually, maybe that's a, a topic that we can explore that idea of having a focus for your job search. Yeah. Is, is that something that uh, you discuss with your clients as well? I do. And I think that's the, the most important part to start from, you know, once you've had that sort of emotional peace of mind, if you haven't been hired back, then it's, well, what do I want to do? What did I enjoy? What didn't I enjoy? I think that's a really important question to answer for yourself. What didn't you enjoy? And it doesn't just have to be from the, the perspective of what was the practice area. I think that's super helpful, but it could be you know, things like, did I enjoy working with one person? Did I enjoy working with a team of people? Did I, you know, what kinds of skills did I enjoy using um, most of the time? Because sometimes those ancillary kind of ways of looking at the working self can really help to fill out the picture about what is the practice area that might be more suitable for me? Does that make sense? So I think taking a holistic view of what it is that you're interested in, that's the necessary starting place to make the rest of your job search that much easier. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. I'm with you on that. And some of the things that I think too, that get overlooked are the work environment. I mean, I know that's kind of everybody's work environment is a little strange these days during the pandemic. But, you know, the idea of if you like working in an office building, would you, you know, do you like to walk to work? Would you prefer to take the subway? You know, like what area of the city and, and that kind of thing. Like when you talk about a holistic approach, I think that so much more than just the work you do and what uh, practice areas you're focusing in on are really important considerations. Totally. All those pieces are really helpful. And like you said, you know, is the office dead? Yeah. <laughs> 2021. I get it. It might, that might be a little difficult to sort of digest from that perspective. Um, but there, but there are other things that you could be focusing on, including, you know, what's most important to me as an individual, because you know, you and I both know, given that this is the work that we do, we meet lawyers, and I'm one of them, you know, <laughs> five, six years later down the road, where they start to ask themselves, what am I doing? I'm not even sure I enjoy what I am doing. Um, did I, why did I choose this in the first place? Right. Yeah. Um, so asking those questions early on in your career, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to get it right from day one and that you're going to find the perfect thing. Cause I don't think there is that out there, but mm -hmm. if you start asking yourself those questions, at least you should know kind of what you're going to tolerate and what you won't put up with. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Absolutely. And and so you just have a better sense of self and who you are and that level of awareness in navigating your job search. And hopefully you won't need to meet someone like yourself or myself five or six <laughs> years down the road to ask myself, like, what should I really be doing? I really be, want to be doing something that I'm, I'm happy with, which it's not a luxury question. And that's the other thing that I think it's important to share. A lot of, I find new calls think it's a luxury question to ask themselves, like, what is my focus? And the reason I don't think it is, is because you and I both meet lawyers, you know, like I said, five or six years down the road who are not happy because they didn't do that work from the very beginning. So mm -hmm. You can avoid that heartache later on if you spent a little bit of time exploring your values and strengths, which I think is, is also akin to a personal branding topic. Yeah, what do you mean by personal branding? Well, I always tell new calls that you're not really selling your candidacy as an expert in any area, right? You know, the law firm is going to hire you and train you. Yeah, you, you know, you had your articles, you might have had some summer experience, and you may have even had a, a career prior to the law. But in, in terms of your legal expertise, you don't have any. And so what firms and employers I think are really looking for is who you are as an individual. Do you know who you are? Are you comfortable in your own skin? Um, because they can't train that. <laughs> and so that's for the most part, they're betting on you as an individual to meet 
a, a potential that they see in you. And so the only way that you can communicate your potential to be that amazing lawyer that they can train is to know who you are. Hmm. To, to say, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. So in a sense, to me, that's a brand in, in, in the way that you're positioning yourself to a law firm, an employer is to say, this is who I am. This is how I approach, for example, problem solving. This is the way that I do the things that I do in the way that I do them, because then it's a decision on that. Uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to, I've got all these legal skills when everyone knows you don't. <laughs> right. And that takes a lot of pressure off uh, new calls, because I think a lot of them feel like they have to pretend they have all, all of those, they've developed all those qualities and they have all of those skills. Um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to go back to um, something you mentioned um, earlier about networking. Okay. And, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking that, um, you know, that's something obviously super important uh, and a super important part of the job search. But what about networking during the pandemic? Any tips that you could offer new calls and, you know, how to, how to yeah, how to go about networking during the pandemic? The first thing to appreciate is that you don't now have this get out of jail free card where... <laughs> Oh, well, you know, you can't do it. So I don't, I won't do it. And that's right. usually a fear-based position, right? In the sense of, I'm not comfortable doing it. So it seems like it's more complicated now. So now I'm just going to avoid it, you know, altogether. Um, and, and what we have discovered over this last year is that networking actually happened more than ever. And people were more willing to open their doors at various points in the pandemic to really help each other out and to spend some time talking to each other. So networking is not dead by virtue of the pandemic. It's still very necessary to a job search. And the reason why is because if you are just responding or relying on job ads to find your first job as a lawyer, you're going to find out very quickly that there aren't many postings that say zero years of call. <laughs> right. Um, and so that's a whole other topic we can talk about. But so what that tells me is that the your peers that became that came before you because they were dealing with the same thing, they found their work elsewhere. And that's tapping into the hidden job market. So positions that aren't advertised. And the only way that you learn about those is by doing networking. And so the only, I think, difference is that now the medium in which you're conducting these, this networking is it's either Zoom or some video conference or it's just the old school telephone. Mm. That's, that's the only difference. And... Mm -hmm. um, that in my mind doesn't change much at all. If anything, it just makes networking more accessible, I think, to people. Because mm -hmm. previously, if you thought about reaching out to a lawyer and saying you wanted to schedule a coffee date, many would have, would have obliged. 
but it ends up chewing a lot of time in your day. You got to leave your office to go to the coffee shop and then, you know, walk back to your office after the coffee uh, date is, is over. Whereas now you don't have to leave your home and you can have that 20 or 30 minute phone call. So in a lot of ways, it's more accessible and easier for people to network with you. So don't think of it as it uh, being a barrier right now. Think of it as it's actually easier for lawyers to do networking with me right now. Hmm. Hmm. And how, how about that sort of initial, uh, how do you, how do you make that initial contact and request that uh, video conference or phone call? So, and I understand how scary it can be in those initial, you know, years of being a professional and thinking to yourself, well, I don't have a network and um, and so how do I do that? And the truth of the matter is very few people have a network when they get called to the bar. And so you have to start by doing outreach to people that you, you don't know. And I know that's the question that you were asking me in any event, Shelley, but I just <laughs> want to sort of lay the foundation there because a lot of people think like, I don't have a network. Yeah, you're not alone. Lots of other people don't have a network. The majority of people don't have a network already. So reaching out is really this idea of, okay, I'm interested in exam for example, in wills and estates uh, work. That's where I would like to be practicing. And so I really would like to get to know the members of the wills and estates bar. Hmm. So you want to First of all, I think address your mindset. Your goal is to find work, but your objective in order to reach your goal is to meet the people that you eventually want to work with and learn about the work that they do, learn about the firms and you know the places that they operate within, and ask them questions about what they're they're doing so that you can sort of know how to advance your own job search. And so when you're reaching out, it's not to say, hey, do you have a job for me? Attached is my resume and a cover letter because a lot of my clients who are senior members of, of the bar tell me every year around this time, please tell your new calls to not send these cold emails attaching their resumes and cover letters because they feel like it's somebody asking for their hand in marriage. And they think it's a little creepy because they don't even know you. So you have to put yourself in the shoes of who it is that you're reaching out to and just explain that you want to get to know the work that you're, they're doing because you have an interest in the work that they're, they're doing. And that's a very acceptable, legitimate, and respected way of reaching out to people. And by the way, these lawyers that you reach out to, when you say something like that, they know you're looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the beauty in our profession is that because this cycle of hire back and, you know, um, hiring happens every year, we all know, and we've all 
been through that cycle many times before. So we get those ebbs and flows of the profession, like you were talking about earlier, Shelly. So they know, and, and therefore you don't really need to lead with that because they already know what you want to lead with is your interest, that connection, that mutual interest and connection. That's mm-hmm. how you build trust. That's how you create a network by, um, engaging people on this basis of, I want you to be able to trust me, not I'm using you for a short-term gain. Right, right, right. And I mean, what what lawyer doesn't like talking about themselves and their career path? So, <laughs> you know, <Right>. like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I know because um, I've received many requests like that. And I really enjoy talking to uh, new calls, articling students, um, law students, because, you know, we are, we're all in this together and we, ha- we, sh- we share so much in common. And if we can help others, um, maybe not necessarily avoid the mistakes that we made because sometimes making mistakes is a, a, a wonderful way to grow, but at least help to, you know, clear the path a little for them. Um, yeah. And that idea of, you know, building the relationship and it not being a one-off, I'm just asking you for a favor. Right. I think, you know, I think that's a really important consideration is to not uh, go in with that attitude to just feel like you really genuinely want to learn about how this, you know, how this lawyer came to be in the position they're in and in sort of in the back of your mind, wondering if that might be a good fit for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and just listening to you summarize it that, that way reminds me that this job search that you're going to be engaging in, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. <laughs> so yes. you need to pace yourself. You need to recognize that you're building relationships here and those things take time. And in order to um, build it to the level that you want, I'm thinking you want to have it, which is having somebody, you know, in your career for the long term, it's going to take time. You're going to have to build trust. So you need to do that slowly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean things can't happen quickly, but it means that you're developing a relationship here. And so uh, primarily you need to be focusing on that. Right, right. And to be sort of mindful of who you, um, who you reach out to, not just everybody and anybody. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how many times have you and I heard, I'm always baffled when I hear these stories of, you know, a new call, just sending an email blast to anyone and everyone appending their resume and cover letters saying they're looking for work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know how, uh, what type of response they get to that. And then so, it's so hard to recover from that, if that's the approach that you've taken. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And even though, you know, we don't want, we're not sending a copy of our resume or a CV in advance. What are your thoughts on having your CV kind of in your back pocket? Like if someone asks for it during one of these coffee dates, um, would you suggest sending it off to them? Like what, what are your views on that? Yes, you should always have your resume ready to go when you start conducting um, these outreach efforts. Now, whether you share it with somebody right away, 
the, I guess the general principle that I'm guided by is that when somebody is offering to do that, first of all, that's an amazing thing, right? Like that, that should be like, yes, but I don't want you to get sort of swept up by, oh, great. Now this is all I have to do. You know, this is like, that's it. I'm set now. I, I think you want to try to somehow gain control of that process, whatever that process is set out to be. So if that person is um, handing it off to someone in particular, you might want to see whether it's something that you can be copied on an email um, mm. that this person is going to be distributing your resume to because and what I'm trying to um, guard against is that typical scenario where someone takes your resume and then it's passed into someone's hands and then it goes into this black hole and right. you have no way of managing that process. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so if you can somehow design the process where you are still involved so that you know, if, for example, your resume is going to be shared with someone in particular, and you ask to be copied on that email, you know, Im immediately after that original email goes out, you know, you could follow up and and say, thank you very much. And if there's anything else that you need from me, I'd be, you know, glad to answer so that this person now's have now has communication with you. That's not going to necessarily be the answer for every situation. But what I'm asking you to do is to think about how you might design that process where you have a little bit of control so that you avoid that situation of now somebody else has your resume, you don't know who that is, you haven't been connected with them personally, and nothing is happening. Right, right. What and are so, your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering myself about, um, you know, the follow up from that like yeah. how would you follow up on that and um you know how often like oh, that's always I always find that a really difficult uh difficult question so yeah what would what would you say about that follow up on what part if you've sent if someone has sent your resume off to somebody else mm -hmm. do you then follow up with that second person and if so when and how often and you know that like you just don't want to be a pest but you don't want to let that potential opportunity fizzle out either and that's why I'm I'm suggesting to design from the beginning to ask to be copied on that from the get-go so you kind of avoid that because if somebody does send out your resume <clears throat> you haven't been copied on that I don't think you can now go and contact that secondary person um, out of the blue. I think you need to go back to the original person who agreed to send it on your behalf. Right. But that second person I'm thinking about, okay, so you've got that yeah. contact. How often do you follow up with that second person? Like so I think you need to go to that original person and get their permission about how to reach out to that person if you haven't been copied on that original email. Um, and so you, you, I think you want to follow up if, if you weren't involved in that original transaction to say, 
just wanted to make sure you got, you know, all my materials. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to um, answer them. And if you can put in, you know, something to the effect of, uh, I'll be in touch with you in a, in a couple of weeks to see if there is anything else that you needed. Mm. There's always, I think, in your communication, like chess, you want to think a few steps ahead and always kind of say something Well, you'll be following up with the person in whatever time uh, period of time makes sense for the situation where you can then follow up with them because the toughest thing to do is to follow up with somebody when you haven't given yourself that nudge that sort of springboard to do that because once you do and say like i'll be in touch with you in a few weeks then in a few weeks you can send your email that said hey i promise to stay in touch do you have any other questions for me? And if things don't go anywhere at that stage, then you can kind of consider it a dead end, but at least you've done all you, you could. And I guess that's the notion that I'm talking about trying to maintain control over it so that you, you always have like this foot in the door to be saying like, you know, I'll touch base in a couple of weeks to see if you need anything else. Um, and that way you are forced to follow up with them. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And I'm thinking about the material itself that you're sending. So um, let's just start with the resume. Any sort of general tips to offer new calls in crafting their resumes or, you know, their marketing material? Well, I, it, this is very boring advice, but you need to keep it simple as a new call. It's unfortunate because as a resume um, writer and in my training, I got to learn all of these wonderful techniques on how to put together a really, you know, creative resume. But unfortunately, in the legal profession, um, we like our resumes, like, you know, going back to the 1900s, like, I don't know why that is. But they're, they're very, you know, straightforward. One might even say boring. Uh, for a new call junior lawyer, in fact, you want to start off with your education and then you go into your experience and then you can put your extracurriculars on the second page. Your education at this stage of your career is, is the most relevant uh, piece of your candidacy. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier. You don't have the legal experience just yet, so you don't necessarily lead with that just yet. Um, the other thing that is becoming more prevalent nowadays is the uh, automated tracking system. A lot of firms, organizations are using that to scan the materials. So you want to make sure that you have a content rich or a keyword rich resume. In other words, you should be tailoring it, adjusting it to the positions you apply, depending on what the job posting calls for. And I'm not saying cutting and pasting, but I'm saying in a thoughtful way, see what are the key skills and see what the keywords are. And, you know, to the extent that it is true in your resume that you could also, you know, modify the language to complement those, then you want to do that because that's just going to rank your resume to be higher if it goes through a portal system. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm wondering how that jives with what you said earlier about very few um, uh, you know, first positions 
are advertised. So how would you know what keywords to include in a resume where you're not applying for a you know, position that's been advertised? And this is where I think still looking at job ads are still very helpful. Okay. Just to get a sense, because even though it might be asking for many more years of experience than, than you have, uh, the other skills are still going to apply. Okay, so like sort of general skills that someone would be looking for in a junior lawyer would be itemized in a job posting. And if you're not responding to a, um, an ad, then those are the same types of skills that anybody looking to hire a junior lawyer would be looking for. Is, is that what you're saying? You those, are, those are going to give you the clues, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if another place to look would be the Law Society's um, list of competencies. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. I love the I love those two pages, one for the yeah. barrister and one for the solicitor. I agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also gets, you know, gets you thinking about um, the skills that you have and how probably you've got a lot more than you think that you do. Uh, it's just when you're in a position where you're out looking for work, you tend to not see your best self. So, um, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, and other things um, that have come up for me is, I know the idea, sort of the, the buzzword is customize, customize, make sure that you customize your resume for the particular job that you're applying for. Um, and I I often wonder, though, in terms of describing some of the work that you've done as an articling student uh, or as an LPP candidate, um, how any sort of suggestions on how to how to describe that concisely? Because we don't have a lot of space in uh, in a resume. Um, the customization, as I see it, happens more in the cover letter than it does in the resume. There is some room for that in the resume. And as you become more experienced, you know, you might even have a few different resumes that you're working with in your job search. But I think as a new call, I think less of the customization happens there. Um, I'm not saying don't ever, you know, look for an opportunity to customize your resume, but I think the 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 area that people end up should end up spending more time in is on your cover letter because I in my experience too many people want to have a precedent, a boilerplate cover letter that they're using for in their job ad and to me that's the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you not do that? <laughs> and so the reason why you don't do that is because you end up spending hours and hours perfecting this boilerplate cover letter, telling yourself that you're going to tailor it when you're responding to a job posting or submitting it for an opportunity. And then you end up not doing it or not doing much of it at all because when it's time to do it, you start telling yourself, but I've already spent 
hours and hours on this thing. I'm exhausted. I don't want to spend any more time putting together, uh, you know, another cover letter. And so you're less likely to customize at that stage. So mm-hmm. don't do a precedent cover letter. Okay. So then what advice do you have for, I mean, already I'm getting nervous. I'm thinking about if I'm out there and like, <laughs> you know, ah, like it just, and then it's just open season. So, you know, how, how do you create a cover letter that is customized and it's not standardized? It sounds original. Um, yeah. Eesh. You need to have a process. So you need to, and that's what I I teach my my clients on a process and how to put together and customize a cover letter. But basically, when you, you know, tying all the pieces and the principles that we've talked about so far, when you apply to things that are within your focus that you've thought about that meets your strengths and your um, interests and your qualifications, uh, and you've gone out there and you've conducted networking with people in that bar, and you understand from them because you've spoken to them and asked them questions like, you know, what are the skills and the characteristics that you'd be looking for when hiring um, somebody in an area like this? So all of that information, when you put and synthesize that together, when you're putting together your your cover letter, it should be an easier process from that perspective. And I'm not saying that it's going to be an easy document to, to write, but it should be easier when you're doing all of those other things properly. Because if you're having a hard time communicating your interest in a cover letter, is this really an area of your focus? Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it becomes difficult when it's not a match. So yeah. there is no mystery when you're having a hard time putting together a cover letter that it might not be an area of your interest and that you're putting it together for the sake of casting your bre- your net broadly. And that's, you know, a s- strategic approach that some people take, but you have to understand what it is that you're doing when you do that. It becomes harder for you to make that convincing argument. So when you actually do have an interest in something, I always tell my clients, um, just as a starting point, why are you interested in this? And don't tell me some flowery language. (laughs) Just tell me like raw. Why do you want this? Why are you interested in this work? What is it about this firm? And it's interesting when I ask that question without asking for, you know, a technical and sort of a really polished answer, that's usually where I get my content to open the letter. Mm-hmm. And once you tap into sort of that authentic and sincerity, um, then for me as a writer, that's where the gold happens. And for my, my clients, that's where their shoulders start to sort of, you know, drop and they feel like, oh, this feels better. Yeah, this is, that, that is why I'm interested. This is the reason why I'm, in a, I'm applying. Yeah, so start your letter that way. Mm-hmm. This whole business about please accept my letter. I'm writing to express my interest. Everyone else says that. Right. How are you distinguishing yourself? 
yeah, any sort of thoughts on how to start? Because obviously that that first line is so important. Um, yeah, have you got some examples that you could share? Well, I just gave you the answer in terms of why are you interested in putting it in there? I don't have any, you know, first lines that I have done recently, but that's always the the place to start. You know, right. why is it that I'm interested? Um, why, um, you know, if there is uh, something about their values or the work that they do that really aligns with your interests, well, then say that. If, yeah. you know, if their commitment is to protecting the rights of vulnerable individuals, and that's what you've been, you know, studying all along in law school, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And then ultimately, like, <laughs> you know, you're looking for a good fit for yourself. And it's not that you're just trying to sell yourself. You are genuinely looking to see, you're looking to um, apply to firms that share your interests. So exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's makes why such... there can't be a cookie cutter line that I can give you because it right. needs to be authentic. Right, right. Yeah, there I go back to looking for that cookie cutter. <laughs> it just does provide so much secure, sense of security, but at least I know where to start. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm wondering if maybe not starting at the beginning might be a good approach to help uh, people who are trying to write the non-standardized cover letter, like just write the rest of it. And then, you know, get you, it helps to get you inspired and pumped up about the position. And then you might be in a better position to uh, craft that, uh, you know, opening that's engaging and authentic and draws the reader in. And everyone's process is going to be different. For me personally, that opening line is what does it for me when I'm writing a letter. Hmm. Um, so, you know, know your strength too, right? You are a student, you've been writing throughout law school, you've been writing in your articles, you already have a sense of what kind of a writer you are. So use that, leverage that when you're putting together your, your cover letter. If it's starting at the end first, do that. Right. If it's starting in the middle first, do that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, do what it is that's going to bring out an authentic uh, piece of writing. And so, and, you know, don't, I, I hope I'm also not communicating that like every letter is going to be a complete, you know, original piece of art. You're the same person. So you're going to, you know, reuse and recycle things from one letter to the next. Yes, that 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 is going to be a necessary part of the whole process. But if you have that letter already mapped out, it's it's not going to change very much um, going forward. And as a result, the reader is going to tell very quickly that this is a, a boilerplate letter. And that's why I think you should avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah, it makes really good sense. And um, yeah, such wonderful tips all around, Paulette. Really, really useful. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's anything that we haven't touched on that you think would be helpful to pass on to readers, to listeners. I, I think it's more of just like a summary going back to the, the branding and the whole piece about, you know, get, having a sense of who you are and what you're looking for, just being authentic. And I think it runs contrary to how new calls think they should feel 
my sense and in working with so many is that they just want to behave um, in a way that is expected of them. Just tell mm. me what to do. Just tell me what to say so I can land work. And what I always try to communicate is that firms aren't looking for that. Um, generally speaking, they want to get to know who you are. Just going back to that earlier point about they know you don't have the legal expertise at this stage. They want to get to know you as an individual. And so take ownership of who you are. Be proud of your accomplishments. Don't feel like you need to fit into any particular, you know, um, stereotype or pigeonhole. Because if you do, then you are going to have a harder time finding something. And when you do, it might not be the best fit for you anyways. So if you're authentic in your job search, you'll be surprised at how many people are drawn to that confidence in you. And I think that's the overall message of a job search is that sense of self and um, that confidence in navigating, which won't have won't be the case every day there's ups and downs with your <laughs> job search i get that but overall knowing that you are committed to what you're interested in and trusting that other people are going to be attracted to that boy do i see that day in and day out and that gives mm -hmm. me the confidence to say that to all mm -hmm. of you yeah wonderful wonderful advice i'm just wondering where we can learn more about you and all the wonderful things that you're doing. Well, oh, thank you. That's so lovely. Um, I love being on social media. And so you can uh, join my network on LinkedIn. I love to post things for new calls and lawyers of all years of call on my LinkedIn profile. And you can find me, um, Paulette Noram, there, or you can follow one of my two um, companies, 21st Century Lawyer, or How to Find Your First Job as a Lawyer. And you can also check out my website at hire.hireback.ca. And thanks for mentioning that at the beginning, Shelley. Terrific. Well, and it's so unique. And yeah, I'm just, how, how long is that? How long have you been doing that? How long has the program been available? Well, the the actual program I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I believe it was it's been around since 2017. Um, but working with new calls and landing that first job as a lawyer has has been over 10 years now, and that's what that program is all about. It's a culmination of all of the work um, that I've done, and I know you've done it too, working individually with people, but also doing outplacement work for firms that hire people like you and I to help new calls navigate and land that first job as a lawyer. And so if you liked the tips that you heard today, if you liked, um, if you would like to know what to do from, you know, point A to point Z, then that hireback.ca gives you all of the information that, that you'd be looking for. Terrific, terrific. Well, I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful resource. Well, super talking with you and uh, I'm so happy that you were able to share so much advice with us, Paula. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to share so uh, so openly and, um, and genuinely with us. 
Well, thanks again for doing this. This is going to be helpful to your listeners. So this was very generous of you to donate your time this way. Oh, thanks, Paulette. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.